You're listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. For leading us in worship, guys, so good uh, to have you guys back. Grateful for you uh, as they flew in yesterday um, and uh, leading us in worship this morning. Uh, super thankful um, <clears throat> for you. Uh, well, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, uh, continuing our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, <clears throat> should be on. Um, you guys hear me okay? Um, we're going to continue our series in the Ten Commandments, uh, looking at God's law and what it teaches us, um, both about who God is, about our sin, as well as how it points us to our need for a Savior. Today we're in the fourth, going to be in the fourth commandment, as you heard read, um, regarding the Sabbath. Um, have, you, have you ever noticed when we talk to one another and uh, ask one another how we're doing, a common refrain, a common response in regards to how we're doing involves something with the word busy? Uh, I noticed uh, a while back that a frequent response of my own was busy, but good. It's like, it's like saying, you know, like it's crazy and I'm going and doing this and that, but you know, I'm doing okay. Uh, or, or a lot of times we just drop the but good part and we're like, man, it's just, it's crazy busy. Um, <clears throat> there's a, a book written a few years back called Crazy Busy, uh, kind of speaking to this dynamic that in our lives today, it feels like there is incessantly more stuff to do and less time to do it. And so uh, we always feel busy. And, and interestingly, uh, during, the, during the pandemic, it was a fascinating experience that many people, though they worked from home, uh, and life changed in that regard. Many people didn't work from home and still went into work and it felt um, just as crazy. But even in working from home, it, it like removed the barrier between work and, and rest. And so everything became work. Uh, it just felt like it, it encompassed everything in our lives. And, uh, and it was hard to distinguish between when we were off and when we were on. And depending on the nature of your work, uh, depending on how important email is for you, it's like it's always there nagging at you, always something to look at, always something to do, uh, always enough to be busy with. And uh, it's interesting that in our world today, I feel like there's two kind of simultaneously uh, true things about us. One, that we're pretty much universally stressed out about our work, whether it be our job or school or some combination of the two, right? Sometimes uh, we do the double whammy and we have a job and school at the same time uh, and you feel the weight of that. But at the same time, there is an increasing uh, emphasis uh, upon self-care. So we're simultaneously stressed about work, but concerned about self-care. Um, and, and there's some good things related to an emphasis on self-care, and yet there are some things that in our kind of self-care world uh, that actually are counter uh, to an understanding of what real rest, Sabbath rest, is all about. And so it's in this world of being stressed about work and caring uh, and concerned about self-care that we need to consider 
the fourth commandment and what it says to us regarding keeping the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, and keeping it holy. So I want us to see uh, four things related to the Sabbath. And uh, particularly when we come to the Sabbath and, and we come to the fourth commandment, it's actually the longest commandment in terms of like the most space given to a command uh, in all of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it, it encompasses four whole verses. Uh, most of the other ones from here on out are going to be basically uh, within five words or less. So here we have four whole verses in, the, in a moment. In one command, it's going to be three whole words. Um, and so it's the most space given to it, but it's also at the same time important to kind of step back and have a broader understanding of why the Sabbath matters and, and especially when we look at the command, the first thing we ought to think is it says not keep the Sabbath. It says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it implies that there's something before the giving of this command that we ought to consider, that we ought to remember. Um, and, and what we ought to remember is that the Sabbath is established in creation. That specific word isn't used, but if you flip over to Genesis 1, there in Genesis 1, we see, or Genesis 2, excuse me, the beginning, verses 1 through 3, it says, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested. This is the word uh, that we get Sabbath from. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. We see the Sabbath is established in creation. And when God rested, he rested from doing all of his work. All of his work revealed his character, that he is good, that he is holy. All of his work, uh, the scriptures say, was very good. And that he set apart this day to be a reflection upon the work that he had done. Um, and and in, a, in a very real way, uh, God's rest is different than our rest. You see... Uh, God didn't rest because the work of creation took something out of him. You know, I, I've been working on creating a dollhouse with my daughter, and it's taken us like three months to get 70% of the way done. Um, and, uh, and when I work on it, um, I'm like at the age where a after I was doing some stuff the other day, I went ahead and took two ibuprofen afterwards just to make sure uh, that I wasn't going to be too sore the next day, right? Um, and so... Uh, I get tired when I work. I, I expend myself and something is taken out of me. I'm lacking in my work. I need uh, rejuvenation uh, in my rest. But God doesn't rest for rejuvenation. I believe his primary reason for resting is exaltation. His primary reason for resting is to step back and to exalt in the work that he has done. It's meant for us to consider him and to consider his works. And so that's what he does there in Genesis 1. He steps back from his creation, which is very good, and he delights in his finished work. He's satisfied with his finished work of creation. Everything was just as he intended. That's something that most of us in our work, we never realize. Not everything is just as we intended. We always have to do with something not quite being right, something not quite going according to plan. But God finishes his work and it says he blessed it and he made it holy. And the, the word holy, it means to set apart. And so God takes the seventh day and he sets it apart. 
He sets it apart uh, as, a, uh, as a day that's set apart by God and that he blesses it and it's set apart for God and that it's to be holy and that we remember him and his works. And so in many ways, the Sabbath day, the seventh day, was meant to be a day of blessing, a day in which we reflected on God and his work, his character and his work. And in the, in the work of creation, the Sabbath isn't given as a command, though, at this point. What we see is the Sabbath is a reality. In a moment, we're going to look at how in Exodus it's a command. Keep the Sabbath. Keep it holy. We're to remember it. There's an act of obedience that's supposed to be marked by our remembering of the Sabbath. But here, the Lord declares it a reality that he rests from his work. He's the creator. He is good, wise, and sovereign. He creates everyone and everything. Everything owes its existence to him. Everything is held together by him. He rests from all his work because uh, he has completed it and it is good and he holds everything together even as he rests. But it establishes this reality, a pattern for us, and that we're going to see repeated throughout the, the rest of the Old Testament that God worked six days and rested on the seventh day. It's a pattern that he gives us for our lives. And we're going to see this commanded both in Exodus 20 and then after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses will give the commands of God, the Ten Commandments, again a second time in the book of Deuteronomy. So 40 years passes from Exodus 20 to Deuteronomy 5, and, and Moses is giving the Ten Commandments to the, ne the next generation who's about to go into the Promised Land, and he reminds them once again here of the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is established in creation, a reality in which we, we see that it's set apart by God and for God. It's for us to reflect on who God is and his character and the work that he has done. But now we're going to see in Exodus 20 that it's commanded in the law. It's commanded in the law as we heard read in Exodus 20. We see a few different things that are important here about the, the command uh, as we jump around to a few places. One, we see that the, the Sabbath makes Israel distinct in their covenant relationship with God. The Sabbath was a sign uh, of, of God's covenant with his people. Uh, in fact, in, um, in Exodus 31, uh, 12 through 17, we see this statement given regarding uh, the Sabbath. The Lord said to Moses, you are to say to the people of Israel, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I'm the one who makes you holy, who sets you apart for me. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days you shall work and be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing it throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, when I read uh, Exodus 31, 17 this week, I thought to myself, can I say that God... Rest not for rejuvenation, but for exaltation. When verse 17 says he rested and was refreshed. 
Um, <clears throat> and, and I think uh, when we understand Scripture, we, we understand what's true of God, that uh, nothing, uh, he, he in, in no way uh, is diminished by the work that he does. He, he in no way uh, is lessened in any way by, by the work that he does and needs to be refreshed. He does, as the book of Isaiah says in other places, God does not rest. He does not sleep or slumber. Though we lay our head down in peace at night, God never rests or never slumbers in the sense that he holds all things together. And so here, um, most likely a statement of being refreshed, not in the sense that he had some some lacking, uh, but as a, as kind of a statement that connects with us, that God condescends to us to help us understand the purpose of rest for us, as the Sabbath was given for man, for us to, to rest and be refreshed. And, and here, though, the important thing is that God says that he's given the Sabbath as a sign between me and you through your generations that you may know that I am the Lord, that I sanctify you. The Sabbath was really something that set Israel apart from all the other nations. And remember where Israel was before they came out of Egypt. Or before they came to, to Mount Sinai, they were in Egypt. I gave you the answer before, uh, uh, before I asked you. And, and I want you to think about the significance of being a slave in Egypt. And here they are. God brings them out and he says, you're going to work six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to cease from all work because it's a sign that you belong to me. You see, under Pharaoh, there was no room for work. Under Pharaoh, they had to do double the work with, without the supplies in less time. But in God, he says, I made the world in six days and on the seventh I rested. And so you shall follow in this pattern and rest on the seventh day as a sign that you belong to me. As a sign that you're my people, that you're set apart by me and for me. It's a reminder that he's designed us for relationship with him and we experience that relationship with him as we accept and bring ourselves up underneath his word. To kick against God's design, to kick against his purpose for us is to, not, is to, experience, is to not experience life uh, or it's to experience life in a, uh, in a diminished way, but to submit ourselves to him and to enter into relationship with him is to experience life as he designed us. Life as he created us to experience. And so the Sabbath is given in the, in the law to, to mark us out as a people, particularly Israel, out as a, as a people who are distinct in covenant relationship. But also kind of an underappreciated aspect of the fourth command is that it teaches us diligence in our work. You notice it's not just about one day, it's really about every day. Because it says that you are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But listen to, what, listen to the other part. You are to labor six days and do all your work. Now, I know some of you wish or it feels like work is part of the curse. Uh, and that is part of the fall. And I don't know how this week was, but maybe it felt especially that way for you. When we think about what Genesis 1 through 2 teaches us, it teaches us that that God has made us for work in part. That work wasn't a result of the fall. It was given before the fall. But the fall reminds us that we deal with the thorns and thistles of labor in this life. And you may know very well what those thorns or thistles are in your workplace or in your home. Uh, they may be a boss. They may be uh, a certain season uh, of the year uh, that's difficult. It, it may be uh, a particular decision you're experiencing, or it may just be the ebb and flow and difficulty of your work. But we all experience the thorns and thistles of work. We all experience the, 
the hardships and the challenges of work. But work itself is given as a gift and as part of God's design for us that he made us for worship. The struggles of our work never undermine the goodness of our work and God's design for our work that we would be diligent in it. And here we're reminded that uh, in, in, in the ancient Near East, as this text is given, there's not a five-day work week, right? There's not a 40-hour work week with the weekend and Saturday you do your thing and then maybe you do a little bit of church on Sunday and then you do a little bit more of your thing so you can prepare for Monday. Um, no, in reality, this encompasses the totality of what you might consider your job as well as what you consider your home. You know, you, you think about it, you got work outside, uh, perhaps outside the home, as well as the everyday maintenance of life inside the home, and then all kinds of things that demand your time and energy. It's like, how, how do the clothes pile up that easily in your house? Like, and then you feel like you just did them, but you have to do them again, and you start to interrogate, you know, like us, I, I like start to interrogate my ch- children. I'm like, how, when did you wear this? You know, like, uh, when did you put this on? You know, and I, like even me, I'm like, well, I could wear those pants an extra day. You know, you start to you start to kind of negotiate with yourself so you can diminish a little bit of the work that you have to do. But here we're reminded all of that is part of life and God's created us to work. I'm not saying that there isn't challenges and difficulty in that. But here we're reminded that God has given us work and he expects us to work diligently. And we need that reminder sometimes as we uh, can be tempted to think that, uh, that we, we, we just don't want to work. We, we kind of live in an age, I'm kind of showing my own age, speaking to those who are younger than me. You think, I want to figure myself out before I really work, before I really step into work. What I would say to you is realize God made you to work and you'll discover yourself as you work. Um, And so there may be things that you do along the way that teach you what you don't want to do um, and teach you how you don't want to do it. But it's important to to understand and appreciate the uh, the design that God has given for work. And that is is stated here in the command. It's not just about one day, but it's about how you labor the other six days with diligence. So. Secondly, we see, or third, we see the, the, the kind of the heart, if you will, of the command as it teaches us to cease from our work. It teaches us ultimately dependence and delight and rest. It teaches us dependence and delight and rest. We have the, uh, the sense of being distinct in covenant relationship, um, diligent in our work, and then dependent and delight in our rest. This is at the, the heart of the fourth commandment, to cease working. And that rest points us both to dependence and delight. I, I mentioned two places uh, that are uh, one place already where we see the Sabbath principle in play. And that's in Genesis 1 through 2. That God's practice of, uh, of the Sabbath, the pattern of the Sabbath was, was to reflect on him and to enjoy his work. It was meant to, to celebrate, to delight, if you will. But there's another place that we see the Sabbath, and that's in Exodus 16. And this is in between Israel coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, on their way to Mount Sinai. If you look at Exodus 16, verses 23 through 26, we see that God set apart a day for the people of Israel, a solemn day, to be holy. And, and part, of this, part of what was taking place during this time as the people came out of Egypt, they had nothing. They got a little bit of, uh, they plundered the Egyptians on the way out. Uh, they got some, got some gold and stuff, which they're going to waste here in a few chapters to make a bowl. Uh, but they get out and they have no food and God provides for them. And, and God is so gracious. He gives them bread. And, and then they're like, 
but we want meat. And like, I totally relate to that. And he gives them quail. And, uh, and, and so they get bread and they get meat. But God tells them that in verse 23, the Lord commanded them. He said, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So take what you must, bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside and keep it till the morning. They weren't to go out and gather on the Sabbath. They were to gather enough on the sixth day to feed them for two days. And it says that, uh, so they laid it aside till morning and Moses commanded them. Um, and, and what happened is that uh, it, God preserved the food. It didn't stink. It didn't, uh, it didn't, uh, they had no worms in it either. It says, Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will find, not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So this is here the first time that the command is given to to keep a Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath day, the seventh day, a day in which they don't go out and gather food. They don't cook their food. They gather enough. They prepare it ahead of time. And then they eat and they feast and they cease from their work as a sign and as an act of dependence on God. And you think about it. There, There had to be preparation. If they wanted to cook food, they had to cook it the day before. But it was true dependence that what they gathered enough on, on that sixth day, that it was going to be there on the seventh day and be enough for them to eat. I, you know, sometimes I feel like I have that moment of trust and dependence on God when the milk says that it's expired. You know what I'm saying? The, the day of or the day before. And you're like, I don't know. I think it's good enough. Like it's not chunky. It swirls. It's got a decent smell. And you pour it in your cereal. And by faith, right? Like God provides. I, and if it's if you don't have a problem later in the day, it was okay. You know, like um, there's a there's a true sense of dependence uh, that goes to another level beyond smelling your milk. When they gather the manna on the sixth day, it was practicing the Sabbath was teaching them dependence on God. It was marking them out as a people in relationship to God who were dependent on God. So you mean to tell me that you? You trust your God to provide for you? Yeah. That's how God's designed us. That's why God redeemed us, to know that we are in relationship with him and we can trust him. And so when we, we remember the Sabbath, we're remembering both in creation that God's designed for delighting, re- reflecting on him and his character and his work, as well as our need for dependence on him. And I think, I think because the Sabbath command, as we're going to see here in a minute, uh, all of the commands, so we see their fulfillment in Christ, but of all the Ten Commandments, it's the only one that's not explicitly restated in the New Testament under the New Covenant and the teaching of Christ. And we'll talk about why that's significant. But I feel like sometimes it's hard for us to, to fully appreciate it because it doesn't feel like it has as much relevance to us today. Um, or that, uh, that we don't quite get how significant or how important it was. But I, I want us to see that Sabbath rest expressed a dependence on God um, and, and really uh, cut against the sense of self-sufficiency and pride uh, that could mark the human heart. Because we see the Sabbath rest God gave was serious. You already saw that, um, that, that death was the result of breaking the commandment in Exodus 31, it stated. 
Moses restates it in Exodus 35 after, after the Ten Commandments are given. Moses is going to go into detailed instruction about what you do with the altar, what you do with the tabernacle, what you do with all these different things. And as he's giving the instruction on the tabernacle, he says in Exodus 35, he assembled all the congregation. Uh, they've already gone through their rebellion and the golden calf, and, and God has uh, promised to, to not forsake them, but to go with them. He reveals his glory to Moses. And then Moses assembles the congregation, and he says, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. And once more, he reiterates this. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. And then you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Obviously, right? I, like I, I, read, I read this as I was preparing. I was like, man, like why no fire? And in Exodus, there's, there's clear instruction that they are to go about preparing the tabernacle in a certain way. And uh, in the tabernacle, there was a place where fire uh, was to be kindled for the offering of sacrifices. We see later on the Sabbath as an act of worship. Um, but it also talks in the context of Exodus 35 of not casting and making your own idols, which would have been done with a fire in your house or offering improper sacrifices or worship by not going to the tabernacle. And so here we see God's concerned with how he is worshiped. And, and a fire was uh, particular. I think the concern here was the way in which worship was to be done. It was not to be individualized. It was not to be done out of step with God's command. Instead, it was to be done according to God's command. And part of our rest is connected to worship. And God cares deeply about that he alone is worshipped and how he is worshipped. And, and later we see, uh, of what I know, the only, uh, the only uh, occurrence in the scriptures where someone is actually put to death because of their disobedience uh, of uh, this command. It's in Numbers 15, 32 through 36. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering the sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. I read these things and I, I admit on the one hand, like we live in a totally different world and I'm like, I don't fully get that. And then secondly, I step back and I say, man, God considers sin way more seriously than I give him credit sometimes. And in Numbers 15 in particular, in the context, what's I think significant, and you see this process of deliberation that Moses and Aaron had to do and the congregation of Israel had to do, in the context of Numbers 15, this comes right on the heels of, of Moses talking about the difference between unintentional, attentional, and high-handed sins. And when he describes high-handed sins, he describes the kind of sin that's marked by, um, by a, a pride and an unrepentance, a kind of willful uh, rejection of God's command and, and disobedience. It says in Numbers 15, 27, if one person sins unintentionally, he is to present a year-old female goat as a sin offering. 
And the priest will make atonement before the Lord on behalf of that person who acts in error, sinning unintentionally. And when he makes atonement, he will be forgiven. You are to have the same law for the person who acts in error, whether he is an Israelite or an alien who resides among you. I didn't know. I, I, I broke the command uh, in, in some way other than unintentional. But the person who acts defiantly, whether native or a resident alien, blasphemes the Lord. The person is to be cut off from the people. He will certainly be cut off because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his command. His guilt remains on him. I think the context, it doesn't tell us, but perhaps most likely the gathering of sticks was intended for some uh, act of, uh, of sinful worship or, or some uh, premeditated act without repentance or without remorse. It also was a disregard because the command not to work on the Sabbath was also a command to protect the other people in your sphere of influence, your servants, and even your animals. Um, There was a sense of concern and care for others. And all of this is disregarded in this command and and committed in this high-handed, prideful, unrepentant way. And God brings judgment against sin. So when we read the Sabbath... Uh, we read about the importance of the Sabbath, the need to make it holy. What we should think about is not necessarily all these rules and regulations, but first and foremost, about a holy God who invites us to rest in him and who cares about how he is worshipped. But then it also shows us why it's so significant as we turn to Christ and we see that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus. We see that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Jesus, both in its creation sense and its redemptive sense, and, and the sense of, uh, him, uh, of resting and enjoying the work of God um, in creation, as well as it talks about in Deuteronomy 5. It's interesting. In Exodus 20, he says, uh, Keep the Sabbath because the Lord created the, the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. And in Deuteronomy 5, he says, Keep the Sabbath because the Lord redeemed you out of Israel. It's both creation and redemption that is reflected in why we keep the Sabbath. We have a creator God and a redeemer God, and therefore we keep the Sabbath in light of that. Jesus is both. He is the the God uh, who was uh, active in our creation and whose image we are made and who is the agent of our redemption, uh, who accomplishes our redemption through his life, death, and resurrection. And so when Jesus shows up, Sure enough, the most controversial thing that Jesus steps into was the Sabbath. And you know the Sabbath was important because what happened during this time, and it really began to creep in along the way uh, in the intertestamental period, where rabbis would come along and they would kind of give their interpretation of the law. And, and if you read Numbers 15 as an Israelite, uh, and you had a rabbi who said, look, uh, in order to avoid you from picking up sticks on the Sabbath, here's the thing. You shouldn't even go in the woods on the Sabbath, right? If you don't go in the woods, you won't pick up sticks. And then somebody else is like, you know what? You shouldn't even get within 100 feet of sticks. Because if you're not within 100 feet of sticks, guess what? You can't pick up sticks. Like this, this one, I mean, when, when you look at the, the rabbis and their teaching on the, on the Sabbath, they even had uh, some debate and discussion where they're like, all right, say grandma falls in the ditch on the Sabbath. Should you get her out or should you not get her out? And, and some rabbis were like, well, is she hurt? Could she stay there until the next day? 
could you bring her some food? And she could eat. And then, then you could get her the next day. Because if you pull her out, you might be working. And then somebody else was like, no, go get grandma out of the ditch. Like, you should get grandma. But there was, that was the discussion about keeping the Sabbath and these extra rules that were put up around it. It's kind of like a, a fence that was put around the law so that if you didn't break this, then you surely wouldn't break the law. But if you did break, if you jumped over the fence, you wouldn't yet fall into the ditch, so to speak. And so Jesus steps into this kind of complex set of rules that they had observed about the Sabbath. And in Mark <clears throat> chapter 2, uh, as he shows up, um, and begins to uh, and begins to uh, kind of talk with the religious leaders. The first thing that happens is they get offended about his healing on the Sabbath. And it says uh, uh, after uh, all this uh, had taken place in uh, in Matthew chapter two verse twenty three on the Sabbath, uh, he had been doing some. Uh, they, he had healed a man and had forgiven a man and that had raised issues and then uh, he had gone through and he was questioned about fasting and some other things and it says on the Sabbath in Mark 2, 23 he was going through some grain fields his disciples picked some grain and they were eating it and the Pharisees said hey, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? they're picking the grain they, what they deem them doing as threshing and in the, in the law, it talked about not threshing on the Sabbath, where you'd take the wheat and you'd go into the hole and you would throw it up in the air and the shaft would be blown away by the wind and the wheat would fall down. This is what Gideon uh, was doing uh, in the book of Judges. And, and that was work. That's, that's the kind of work you did throughout the week and that you needed to rest from. Um, and so them picking the grain and probably rubbing it in their hands in order to eat, they said that was breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says to them, have you never read what David and those who are with him did when they were hungry, how he entered the house of God at the time that Abiathar was the high priest and he took the bread of the presence, which isn't lawful for anyone to eat except the priest, and he gave some to his companions also. Then he said this, this is what you forget. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus said this in reference to himself. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and he shows us the true intent of the Sabbath, that it was given for us as a gift in which we rest and remember God, we reflect on him and his work, and we express our dependence on God. You see, Jesus throughout his life never broke the Sabbath. Even though he was accused of it, he didn't break the Sabbath. But he did bust up all their preconceived notions about extra rules regarding the Sabbath. And in fact, we see Jesus not only not breaking the Sabbath, but he never dismissed the Sabbath. Instead, he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath finds its true fulfillment in me. In fact, flip over to Matthew 11 uh, to make this connection. <clears throat> we see in Matthew and Matthew 11, as Jesus is, um, is going about teaching, the Sabbath comes up uh, again. And, and it says, uh, after he had seen the, the kind of unrepentant, unresponsive hearts of, uh, of the people, it says, at that time, he said, I praise the Father, Lord in heaven. This is verse 25 of, of Matthew 11. You've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you've revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this is your good pleasure. All these things have been entrusted to me by the Father. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Jesus reveals who God is, lets us know who God is. Then he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now watch this connection. We know that. Uh, we reference that verse a lot around here. Verse 12, at that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. This is what Mark 2 was talking about. And when the Pharisees, and they took grain and they ate it, the Pharisees said, see, the disciples are doing what you said is not lawful on the, to do on the Sabbath. And he says what he said about Sabbath. And then he says, I tell you, there's something greater than the temple that's here. There's something greater than Sabbath keeping that's here. The rest that the Sabbath is about is present among you is what Jesus is saying. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would, have condemned, you would not have condemned the innocent for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Why can he give rest? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one in whom Sabbath rest is fulfilled. And we receive that Sabbath rest by faith when we come to him. We come to him and we trust in him. And the reason we're not commanded to keep the Sabbath as a, as a command in the New Testament is because the Sabbath finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And we receive that rest, which we're all longing for, by coming to him, which is an expression of faith in him. And we know this to be true because Hebrews unpacks this for us. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 14 through 15 says, For we have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our confidence firm to the end. As it says in the scriptures, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. So he says in verse 19, We saw back then in the rebellion and in, in, in the wilderness, they weren't able to enter into the rest that God had promised them because of unbelief. And, and the land was spoken of as a way of entering into rest. And, and so Hebrews makes this comment about Joshua. He said, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God does from his. He's speaking about resting from our works and dependence on ourselves for a relationship with God and trusting in Christ and his perfect sacrifice as the way we enter into rest. The Sabbath command is transformed in Christ because he fulfills it. And we now find rest, the rest for our souls, which is underneath the, the physical rest that the Sabbath command spoke to by looking to and trusting in Christ. We experience God's ultimate design for rest when we trust in Jesus as our Redeemer. But there's something else that's connected here, that Christ is the fulfillment uh, of the Sabbath, and we experience that by rest. But I, I think there's a third thing that's important to see here, and that, that this rest is celebrated in the church. There's a lot of discussion among some that see the Sabbath as being transformed into the Lord's Day after Jesus' resurrection. You see, the Gospels teach that Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, which is what we know as Sunday. And that's elsewhere in the New Testament called the Lord's Day. But it's interesting, nowhere in the New Testament is the Lord's Day called the Sabbath, whereas the Sabbath is, is taught uh, that, that the Lord's Day is seen as a fulfillment of the Sabbath or as uh, kind of the Sabbath becoming the Lord's Day. 
And you know there's a whole big discussion about this, is what Seventh-day Adventism and, uh, and that whole discussion is about. Um, but nowhere in the Scripture do we see that the Lord's Day is connected with the Sabbath. Don't we see the Lord's Day spoken of a few times. In Acts 20, it says the believers gathered on the first day of the week. They took bread, which is a reference to the Lord's Supper. They heard a message from Paul so long that a dude fell asleep. Um, I hope that doesn't happen here today. Uh, and then Paul commanded the Corinthians to set aside money for the poor on the first day of the week, a reference to when they gathered together. And then the Lord's Day is referenced explicitly in Revelation because John, the apostle, says he heard the voice of the Lord speaking to him on the Lord's Day. So the, those are the only references to the first day of the week or the Lord's Day in Christians gathering. But the Lord's Day is important because it's when we re- remember and we worship our risen Savior. Jesus rose from the dead, and he rose from the dead on the, the eighth day, or the first day of the week, a sign of new life. Uh, and, and through his resurrection, he's brought new life. And so our worship is this remembrance of, uh, of what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection. And we see that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, and here's the connection. Worshiping on the Lord's day isn't the new Sabbath. That's what I'm saying. I don't believe that to be the case. I don't believe that that's right that we worship now on the seventh day or that merely worshiping on Sunday is the new Sabbath. That's not what I'm saying at all. What the scriptures say is that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. And when we gather on the Lord's day, we worship the Lord of the Sabbath. We worship the one who gives true rest. We worship the one in whom by faith we can find and experience true rest in him. And and we we know the significance of. Um, that the the scripture gives to gathering together because Hebrews 10 will tell us that there are some who had forsaken or neglected meeting together. But the author of Hebrews says, but encourage one another to gather together all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. See, our gathering together is important, is significant, not because it is the new Sabbath, but because Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath and we remember and we worship him. And you say, well, my, how can you be so sure that the Sabbath isn't significant? Well, I, look at mark down Romans 14, verses 5 through 9, and Colossians 2, verses 16 through 17. In those places, Paul basically says, look, some people consider one day more holy than the other, but the truth is all the days are the same. If you want to keep the Sabbath in some regard and uh, in, in reflection to your Jewish heritage, so be it. But don't expect others to do that same thing. Now in Christ, all the days are equally holy. The the significance of remembering a day of the Lord, we gather together because of on the on the Lord's day on Sunday because of Jesus' resurrection, but what's most important is we recognize that God is Lord over all of our time. We submit to him in all of our time. We we say here's my whole life submitted before you, and I set aside this day to worship you as an act of, of dependence and, uh, and of worship, of, of remembering you because you're the Lord of the Sabbath, because you fulfilled the Sabbath. And so I, here, I, the, the last point I want to talk about how is though the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, I believe it remains because it's rooted in creation as a wise principle for the Christian life. But, but here's, here's what I want to say as I thought about this. And the last time I preached on the Sabbath a while back as we talked about our missional rhythms and I'm... Uh, as I prepared for this, I thought to myself, man, I have not even done what I thought I would do regarding the Sabbath very well. Um, it's hard to intentionally set, a time, set aside time to rest and reflect and remember the Lord. Um, but here's what I, I think after reflecting on the significance of the Lord's Day. 
whatever form our rest takes in our lives today as Christians, it should not be disconnected from personal worship or communal worship. I don't fully know that that means that your, your form of Sabbath rest as in terms of a wise principle for the Christian life always has to be connected to our corporate gathering. But I think that you should always see your corporate gathering as a part of the Sabbath rest that God desires for you. And that whenever you, you choose to, uh, to, to practice some type of Sabbath rest as a believer, that it's never disconnected from personal worship. You see, Sabbath rest is not self-care. Self-care is inherently turned towards uh, doing whatever makes you feel good. And there's a certain thing that's true, that doing things that uh, rejuvenate you and refresh you is important as we practice Sabbath rest. But it's never disconnected from recognizing God as the giver of every good gift and as worshiping him and enjoying him in our rest. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and when we gather together, we remember uh, what he has done in fulfilling the Sabbath. And, and the last thing I want us to see is that the Sabbath is a wise principle for Christian living. And when we practice it, these three things ought to be true. Dependence on God, enjoyment of God's gifts, and worship of God. Dependence on God, enjoyment of God's gifts, and worship of God. See, the key to Sabbath rest, this idea that's woven into the principle, uh, woven into creation, that God worked six days and rested on the seventh, in a world obsessed by work, God says your work doesn't define you. Stop working. Work diligently, but then stop. If you can't stop your work, there may be something in you that thinks that your work is, is what makes you acceptable for, before others or acceptable before God. Or you may think and, and express functionally that you can't depend on God to take care of you unless you're doing everything you can to take care of yourself. But also in a world uh, that, that's concerned about self-care, Sabbath rest says the thing that you need most is not to satisfy yourself, but to enjoy God. So the key isn't to do nothing, but it's to do restful things that provoke worship and enjoyment of God's gifts. Whether it's being outside, being with others, being in community, serving all of these things can be included in the Sabbath when we do it intentionally, provoking worship and the enjoyment of God's gifts. John Piper has this quote as it relates to the Sabbath that still gets me when I read it, and we'll wrap up with this. The reason that so many people feel it as a burden to practice some type of rest is partly because we have so much leisure. We don't feel the need for Sabbath rest. But more important, it's the fact that not many people really enjoy what God intended to us to enjoy on the Sabbath, namely himself. Many professing Christians enjoy sports and televisions and secular books and magazines and recreations and hobbies and games far more than they enjoy direct interaction with God and his word or in worship or in reading Christian books or meditative strolls or worshiping with the church community. Therefore, inevitably, people whose hearts are set more on the pleasures of the world than enjoyment of God will feel the Sabbath command as a burden and not a blessing. The measure of your love for God is the measure of joy you get in focusing on him on the day of rest. For most people, the Sabbath command is really a demand to repent. It invites us to enjoy what we don't enjoy and therefore shows us the evil of our hearts and the need to repent and be changed. Look, I'm, not, I'm saying if the shoe fits, wear it. it. It fit on my foot this week. How often uh, I can find so much enjoyment and pleasure in, in, in other things apart from God. 
which aren't all necessarily wrong. But in it do I recognize that God is the giver of every good gift. Is my soul most satisfied when I just get to be with him? Or is that just not enough? Does that just not interest us? Does that not just stir us up? I do think the Sabbath rest is wise for us to practice, to have some time in which we're setting aside, perhaps in coordination with the Lord's Day, from Saturday into Sunday, or Sunday as the whole day, or maybe your life it doesn't fit into those, it fits into some other category, but find a way to express your dependence on God and to deepen your delight in God. So make time to rest, which requires intentionality, make room for worship personally and corporately, and enjoy God's good gifts. We need to turn our busy but not good, not busy but good into a not too busy to rest. Are you finding rest in Christ? That's what you were made for. That's what Jesus died for. That's what he invites us to experience both as the entrance into new life and as the experience of the Christian life. Let's pray.